0: Hello, my name is Nick, and I'm here with my co-host, James.
1: And we're coming to you from Wild Cape Photography Studios.
0: On the show today, we'll be discussing the newest commissioner in Indie Ball, a major development in the Martinez ownership situation, Southern Illinois' newest charity initiative, and the rule changes for the Atlantic League this year, as well as a few articles on those changes. So, grab a bat and step into the batter's box, because you're listening to the Indie Ball Report Podcast. We're back again. Back again. Back in black. <laughs> Alright. So we got some stuff to cover today. Decently large show. Always like getting the uh getting the big stories. Yep, of course. Yep, but before we do that, let's go ahead and just take a look at some of the stuff here. Uh just polls really an article. That's all we really have in housekeeping today. <laughs> so poll wise, uh looking up everything. It seemed like the consensus on the polls, uh for if baseball was a radio sport. The general consensus is, yes, it is a radio sport. Most people did like, or at the very least, were interested in the uh, York 1741 Club. And then the consensus on the agreement, whether it was a good deal, a bad deal, or favored somebody, was it was a fine deal, but it favored Major League Baseball. And that's going to be something, I think, that becomes clear as we get deeper into the show today, especially in our uh, kind of finale topic Yep. with that. Just quickly touching the article that's coming out on Sunday. Yep. So on Sunday, we're going to be releasing an article uh, that is goes into detail
1: on what I think uh, about the recent decision uh, to um, have these rule changes in the Atlantic League in the partnership with Major League Baseball.
0: Oh, that, that seems like a very good article, especially now that we know those rule changes. Yep. Definitely going to be interested to see that and be reading that. All right. So with that, let's go ahead and let's dive right into our first topic of the day. The new commissioner in the American Association that will hold that mantle, takes over for Miles Wolf, who did retire the position in December, is Joshua E. Schwab. He was appointed on March 4th by the Board of Directors. Schwab has an extensive resume, which we'll dive into in a second, kind of pick that apart. But it's important to note, as his role as commissioner, he will oversee operations, any future expansion of the American Association, uh, any sort of technology initiatives, as well as relations with the other pro leagues. Just immediately here before we dive into credentials, any kind of thoughts, any comments, concerns?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a good hire uh, from the perspective. I think you know Schwab is a good uh, to lead the American Association in, in yeah. a good direction. I think it's going to be a good direction for them. I think uh, he's particularly sharp. Um, and I think, you know, it'll be an interesting to see, thing to see how it unfolds. Uh, obviously, it's, you gotta take a wait and see por- approach with any of these guys, and you know, you gotta see what happens.
0: Exactly. Yeah. But just from the outset, like I was looking on Twitter when it was announced, and it seems like he's very uh, tech savvy. Yeah. He was immediately reaching out on Twitter, getting involved with the whole conversation, so it's very, it's going to see that he's gonna be hands on. Yeah, he seems very transparent. Yeah, plus he's a younger guy, so I think that's important to get some young blood in there. Yeah, it's important. You know, you get a better pulse of what's happening and able to adapt more, at least in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. So let's dive really quickly into his resume so that we can get a better idea of who Josh E. Schwab is. He has credentials in baseball. His credentials are as the former CEO of the Juliet Slammers Frontier League. He was a board member of the Frontier League, as well as other prospect leagues. However, his experience is not limited to indie ball, as he worked on the Milwaukee Brewers Scouting Department, both as an intern and then as an associate. So I take that he was an intern there, and then they hired him from that. Right. Uh, he also has clerked for the old uh, Northern League, which is one of the really establishing leagues of independent league baseball. It was them in the Frontier League in the beginning. Um, so he's he's been around for a while. And is currently working as a commissioner not only of the American Association, but as the commissioner of the major arena soccer league, which frankly I didn't really know existed. But apparently it's a <laughs> fairly large league. It's like got a decent enough following. It has about sixteen teams and like spread out throughout the country. Wow. It's a fairly large league. Yeah, that is a pretty large league. Yeah, they're mostly in like kind of I wanna say mid major markets like Harrisburg, Austin, uh, Baltimore, places like that. Yeah, soccer is a growing sport uh,
1: in, in America, and it's, it's interesting to see these leagues pop up in different
0: places. You know, it's definitely a unique thing, which I like, too, because it shows he's worked with kind of uh, non-traditional type sports before, because soccer is fairly traditional, it's fairly straightforward, but yeah. when you put it inside, it changes a lot, kind of like the difference between uh, Major League Lacrosse, which is played more on an open field, and right. National Lacrosse League, which is a box lacrosse that's inside lacrosse, so... Uh-huh. It's good to see that he has experience in more untraditional sports.
1: Yeah, he's very diversified when he looks at it.
0: Yep, and then he also has experience as a co-founder. He founded the Beauty League, which, for those that are unaware of what that is, it's essentially a summer hockey league in Minnesota for well prospects and college players as well as other uh, NHL players that are from Minnesota and spend their summers in Twin Cities. So it's a fairly popular league. You always see a couple of highlights coming from it, and you do get some fairly large-name players that do play in it. So it's it's an interesting uh, little league there. But uh, his day job for all of this is as an attorney at Gutwin Law in Minneapolis. He definitely has experience there. It's mainly he focuses mainly on the sports and entertainment law, so that's not that much of a shocker. Right. So, but yeah, no, he's a very interesting guy.
1: He is. I like the fact that he's a lawyer. I think it'll be a good thing for the American Association. Uh, keeps them on the right track that, you know, so they don't have to worry about uh, a lot of different things that can go into running uh, an association or a league, uh, for professional baseball, for independent league baseball. I think it's really hard sometimes to understand all the legal, legal ramifications of what these teams are doing and what the league is doing. So I think it's really important to have somebody who understands sports law, but sports law uh, specifically. And,
0: uh, yeah, I think it's definitely a good thing. And also, with the way the American Association has been in the last uh, little bit here, uh, they lost Wichita last year, then added Milwaukee for this year. Then the fact that expansions was explicitly listed in the uh, press release makes me feel like they're interested in expanding more. Yeah. Uh, especially with the American Association. I believe it's only two teams in Minnesota, maybe just St. Paul. And then there's also Winnipeg that's just to the north. Right. But... I think Minnesota's definitely going to be something they look to expand to. And just because him being based on Minneapolis, having uh, the hockey league that is Minnesota-based, he's definitely focused on that region. And if you notice with all of the places he's worked at, they're all focused on that kind of upper central region of the United States, that Milwaukee, Minnesota region. So I think that he does know that region very well.
1: Yeah, me too. I think I think knowing that upper region of the United States is going to be very important not only for uh, Minnesota, but also the surrounding states. Uh, you want to be able to expand in that region, and that's a good market to play baseball in. I think there's a lot of people uh, who would have interest in having a baseball team in places like
0: North Dakota, even Minnesota. Those areas. Yep, South Dakota. South Dakota yep. yeah. There's definitely just like, a lot of large, isolated communities, I think, you know, around there that are at that weird size where putting an affiliated team there doesn't make much sense just because moving players around between levels would be difficult. Yeah, And obviously they're not going to get a, a major league team. So independent ball seems perfect for those particular regions, you know? Yep,
1: definitely.
0: Yep, so with that being said, I think we've just about covered everything for the new commissioner. So let's go ahead and dip back to an old story that now <laughs> seems like we're getting closer to having a conclusion on.
1: One of our favorite
0: stories here on the program. Yep, our longtime friend of the show, in a sense. <laughs> Let's go all the Carpobs. Ah, Carpobs. And with that, we go to the Martinez ownership situation. So for those that are just tuning in or need a quick reminder and a recap, we have just that here on the situation. So Mm. let's go ahead and break this down real quick. So Martinez Clippers, they play in the Pacific Association. Uh, It's kind of a, a tier three kind of league, I suppose. They're not a major player, but they're not insignificant in the indie ball world. They're a fairly new team, and they did fairly well this opening year. So, the Clippers are owned by the Karpovs, specifically Paulette Karpov. However, their money did come from a company called DC Solar. It manufactured portable solar generators. So, normally if you see one of those giant stanchion lights, that's what they make. And in December, they were raided by the FBI. At the time, it was just stated for financial crime. So that was very vague. It was kind of assumed by local media that it was either tax-related or something like that. However, last week it came out that it was rumored that the raid was due to a possible Ponzi scheme that went to the tune of $800 million. That's uh,
1: that's something else right there. Yeah.
0: Now, it's important to note here that all of this is not only still alleged, the only reason we believe that it is a Ponzi scheme is because from an FBI source, they made it seem very explicit that that's what it was, but didn't explicitly state it. Right. So they basically were saying, Company S, that's based out of the exact city that uh, DC Solar is based out of, and Company S also makes portable solar generators, right. did all these things, highly likely that that's what it is however not confirmed we don't officially have any sort of release saying yes they are, did run the policy scheme or yes they're being accused of running the policy scheme we don't have that yet
1: yeah definitely a problematic turn as we, as we see here with the Martinez ownership situation and you know it's unfortunate that these things happen i mean IndieBall is certainly a uh important thing that we've spoken about a lot on this show about how important indie ball is not just to uh, you know, a lot of people look to the fabric, really, of American society. Um And it really is a shame when things like this happen, and it hurts the credibility of leagues and also teams and, and other owners as well.
0: Yep, it definitely does all that. We've had several different responses from the Pacific Association on <laughs> the matter. Uh, so it started back in the beginning of February, the 6th to be specific. Uh Their commissioner, Theo Fightmaster, who was recently put into that position in November, said he was optimistic that the Clippers would play this year. And said, if they weren't able to do so, they would field a traveling team, go to a five-team league, or add more rest days. He really didn't like the idea of the five-team league and favored the traveling team or the rest days. He wanted one of those two options. However, that position changed about three weeks later, when on the 25th, he had said, not spoken to the Karpovs since he took the position in November. So that tells me he doesn't actually you're kind of making that statement of be, being optimistic as, right. I don't have any information on the matter, I just, I'm confident in it.
1: Yep, just throwing something at the wall and hope it hope it sticks.
0: Which I don't necessarily blame him for that. Uh, you don't, the last thing you really want to say is, I have absolutely no idea what's going on oh, right, right now. Yeah. I haven't even talked to him.
1: Yeah, definitely, you need to keep a certain level of optimism is a, is a good word.
0: Exactly, I may have worded it better than, uh, I'm optimistic they can play as to, we're still trying to figure out the situation we're working diligently to figure that out, unless right. it more vague, but, you know, no harm, no foul. Yeah, no harm, no foul. And so that brings us up to current day. The city of Martinez, where the Clippers play their games, have decided to not only terminate the lease, but end any agreement with the team. This was due to outstanding fees, which totaled, a, roughly speaking, $30,000. They had been given many weeks to pay it. Uh, before the raid, they were sent numerous notices and were given two weeks to pay it before they would go ahead and shut down the lease agreement. Then after the raid, they were given an additional two weeks to come up with the money. They didn't do that, so the council felt that it was necessary to terminate the lease.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's, you know, it's one of those things where when, when these when this happens, it's so hard for teams and, and, and leagues to, to understand the ramifications of this in the long term. It's going to be really harmful um, and, and, I think, you know, like it said here is that there's so many different, uh, options at play here for, mm. for the town and, and, the city of Martinez to, to figure out what they're gonna do. But ultimately, I just don't think baseball's gonna be played there. Mm. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll get into that more in a minute. No. But I really just think that, and that's a shame. I think there's a lot of fans who would have loved, uh, to be able to go to games. And, you know, that it's a missed opportunity for baseball to expand the game and to really care about, uh, the fans, and it's just unfortunate that we're sitting here talking about another failed, uh, situation. And it's, you know, it's sad, to, especially to happen this way with, you know, the mismanagement of money, maybe a Ponzi scheme. A lot of people might have been losing money, corporations, um, been losing money, and it's an, it's an unfortunate situation, it really is.
0: Yeah, it definitely is, is unfortunate, especially being that Martinez really have one of the better attendances in the league. Yeah. Uh, already that league doesn't very draw particularly well. They only average a couple hundred fans a game but that's just the type of league they are. They're not drawing thousands of fans per game. So off the bat, it hurts the league whenever you lose a team to begin with because you lose a sixth of your attendance at least.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Obviously, it's a community that wants baseball. Uh, You'll see that in a minute when we kind of dive through the comments made by city officials, but it's just disappointing to see that happen, especially because the city spent a lot of money to revamp the field, revamp the whole area that the field's around. I believe the number was just a shade under $10 million yeah. to redo that whole area, and that's that's coming from the taxpayer expense, so it's like a double hit. You that's paid, a big investment there, yeah. Yeah, you paid for something that you thought you were going to get, and then you got maybe a third of it. It seems like a pointless investment. You invested for a team to be there, and then found out, okay, well, I didn't necessarily waste the money because the team could still go there, but it's... It's a shame, really. Yeah. It's just
1: a shame. I mean, it, It's just a situation where you look at it and you go, there's so many different components to it that are so bad, you know, uh, it, yeah. it sees where so much blame is, uh, and it's really sad that hmm. we're going to be losing, you know, we're talking about losing a team uh, that was, like you said, one of the higher attendance teams in this league. And, just, you. You know, and that was shame.
0: even with a poor record.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously this city wants baseball. If they didn't yeah. want baseball; they wouldn't have approved the ten million dollars, and then they wouldn't have, uh, you know, they, they wouldn't have, have
0: stuck with it for fall. Yeah, ball.
1: so it's it's a shame. It really is.
0: Yep. All right, and so let's just kind of dive a little bit into the uh, into the city official aspect of this, because that's where we really start to get the sense that this this uh, loss of a team really is more than just uh, talk. It really does seem like they genuinely are not happy that they're losing a team. Right. For more than just financial reasons. Uh, all those numbers that I was pulling out for financial numbers, those came from the mayor of uh, Martinez, Rob Schroeder. And his vice mayor, uh, Gipner, had said uh, within two weeks we'll have a decision made as to whether or not a team will be fielded there this year. Martinez wants a team. They're very interested in fielding something. They want any sort of a team and they feel as though that uh, teams are very important to the communities and that. I believe it was Gippner and I was saying he was looking around at other communities and he saw the impact that they had on those communities and that that was something they very much wanted in Martinez. And it's a disappointing that this is the outcome of it. Yeah. Uh, which it's hard to disagree with him there.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's impossible to disagree with him there.
0: Obviously, you know, you, you're
1: looking at it from perspective of a leader of the city and you can see how 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 many uh, different independent league baseball teams there are that have uplifted, you know, portions of the economy in these cities, and now, you know, that whole thing has kind of gone out the window for
0: them. And yeah, not even so much that, just you get a little bit of a pride aspect from it, you know? Right, yeah. Just when you have a team that you can call your own, it it does something for pride. Even if it's only like a low-tier indie ball league, it's still something, and it's still a bit of local pride. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yep. So now we go back now to Theo Fightmaster. Who's been working to try and resolve the situation in a way that fields a team obviously he wants what's best for his league and he feels as though putting a team in Martinez is an option yeah of course, yeah, yep so Theo through a middleman had learned that Karpov wouldn't be able to field a team earlier this year, obviously he doesn't want to say that outright, it's not a very uh, confident statement and you yeah, want to chaos exactly want to remain as confident as possible in appearance so And also, we don't know when he learned that information. We just know some point this year he learned that. I would assume sometime in the middle of February that became evident. Mm -hmm. However, he has been contacting a bunch of local ownership groups, or possible from local business owners, other residents, to try and put something on the field. But as we had said, even though the city wants something, it just looks unlikely as though something will be there. And they've already began to schedule dates that were going to be blocked off for the Clippers into other slots, like recreation leagues, uh, other little league type leagues, and things like that.
1: Yeah, that's a shame. And you know, obviously, it's it's becoming pretty apparent now that Mm -hmm. they're going to lose this team at least for this season. Obviously, Mm -hmm. if there's a change in ownership, perhaps uh, you can bring back the Clippers or something like the Clippers, a team like the Clippers, into Martinez. But it really depends on how everything plays out, and we'll have to keep an eye on it.
0: Yep, I certainly think the writing's on the wall for Martina. Oh, yeah. I think it's kind of clear that the Clippers are done. Yeah, You may get another team, but the Clippers are done. Being that in the article, it had also stated that the Carpals do want to keep their team. They want to keep fighting for it. Which, if you did run an $800 million Ponzi scheme, I think an independent league baseball team is on the bottom of your worries list. Yeah, really. They're gonna be spending some time in prison. Not only that, I think, and the media, potentially, of course. Yeah, I think in the immediate term, you'd be more concerned about figuring out your legal situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even if you didn't do this, it's a serious accusation. You committed a very large financial crime. I would be more concerned about trying to defend myself in court if it comes to that, or at the very least, clearing up this whole mess before I even worry about a minor league baseball team that plays 80 games from May to September. Yeah, and also, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, they
1: have to fight for their lives, they have to fight for themselves first, and all those legal fees are really going to take a toll on them. Oh, yeah. Uh, financially, so I really don't see a way financially they can keep it unless they actually do have $800 million stashed away somewhere. You know? Yeah,
0: so obviously it's going to be something to watch out for, but as for right now, I don't think it's going to be much... uh much more that relates to the actual baseball team. No. So I think that's going to kind of conclude our coverage of the situation until something happens with the baseball team in Martinez.
1: Right. No point
0: to keep commenting
1: on um, the uh, Carpoff situation. You know, obviously we, we hope that these allegations are
0: false, and uh, that's about all we can say at this point. Exactly. Being that we're not uh, legal experts here, yeah. there's <laughs> not much we can really add nope. into the conversation on that front. So unless it pertains to baseball, there's no real point on us to you, talking about uh, potential financial crimes we'll move from that to something actually happy yeah. in a positive note here we're, uh, we're getting uplifting here now exactly we're getting to the good stuff and that is the southern illinois miners charity initiative what this initiative is is called passing the game on. what it does is it helps make the game more accessible to uh less uh fortunate families so families that are going through financial hardships and they're just unable to get their kids involved in the game of baseball or in softball. What they're doing is they're collecting gently used baseball equipment, so gloves, cleats, bats, helmets, anything you have, they'll take it. Um, Those collections started on Thursday, March 7th, and they will run to the 1st of May. You can drop off any sort of collection at the Rent One stores in the greater Marion, Illinois area. Rent One is one of the sponsors of the event as well as River Radio. You could drop a collection at their office and you could also drop it off at the, uh, Miners Bowl Park if you have any equipment there you want to donate. And they're also doing a fundraiser to try and, uh, lower the cost of entry in some of the programs because a lot of these youth programs have fees that you have to pay to be able to play. And those are just necessary to secure field time and other things like that. If you just if you don't have any equipment to donate, or you can't afford to buy like a glove or something to donate, and you have ten bucks you want to throw in, you could do that. they will take donations of any size, anything to really help their uh, their cause. Yep. this is just this is great.
1: I mean, yep. if he, you know, playing having played baseball when I was a kid growing up, there's so many kids who didn't have that opportunity, who never got that chance because they couldn't buy the glove, they couldn't buy the fancy bat. Uh, and, you know, so you had to loan them stuff if they were there. It was It's really good. I think there's something really proud that you can have being able to own your glove. Having a glove as a baseball player is really an important thing, and being able to mm-hmm. own your own bat is a really important thing as well for especially a child who's a baseball player. So to me, I, I think this is a great initiative that the Miners are doing, and I really hope it goes well. And I think it's, gonna, it's just great outreach to the community. It shows the impact that indie ball teams can have. This is going to change some kid's mood his entire life, just in, in terms of being able to have baseball. That 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 you know, a sanctuary away from the troubles of everyday life. You know, that that, that yeah. place where you can just go and just be yourself and, and within the game itself and really put yourself into that. I think it's really special.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And like you touched on with the equipment, your equipment is something that's special to you. Any athlete has a certain type of equipment that they like. They have a certain routine that goes along with it. And so when you get a glove that's yours and you're not borrowing it for somebody else, you have a bat that's yours that you've gotten comfortable with, that you've used, it becomes, it's personalized to you. There's something about it that, especially in sport like baseball, that's very superstitious. There's something about it that when you're not using your own stuff, it, it feels off. It doesn't feel right. So when you give a kid a bat or give a kid a ball or give a kid something that's specifically for them, it it does something there, and not only that, like you were saying, it is kind of an escape from life. It's clearly if they're coming from a situation where they need that, baseball is an escape for it. Right. You know, be, between the lines on the field, there's nothing, like, all that matters is the game that's going on. Yep. So it lets you take your mind off it for two, two and a half hours, at the very least, to try and just focus on the game. So it's definitely a positive thing, and definitely uh, we encourage you to donate if you are in the Illinois area. It's a very important thing to do and, and you really can make somebody stay with it. Yeah,
1: it's great and I, and I just think moving forward, more teams should adopt initiatives like this mm. because baseball is a game that changes lives. It really does. It makes kids understand teamwork and the uh, you know all the things that go into being an adult um, and understanding how to work well with others and, and being part of something bigger than yourself. Mm. So to me, I think baseball was one of the, the best experiences I ever had was playing the game. Uh, so giving this opportunity to people who are less fortunate, to kids who are less fortunate is
0: really a great thing. And, you know, I think other teams should adopt this as well. Yep, definitely. I would definitely look for other teams in the Frontier League to uh, go ahead and do that and join uh, initiatives like that. Yep. I think that's a good place to put a break into the show now. Uh we have anything to talk about now for a seventh inning stretch? So, for
1: this week's seventh inning stretch, uh, brought to you by Wildgate Photography, uh, I want to talk I'm about... <laughs> yeah, two hands in one day. Uh, so, I want to talk about uh, kind of the something very interesting, something we have also mentioned on this show is the AAF. Uh, so the American Alliance of Football, uh, and so the Alliance of American Football uh, is, yeah. is one of the um, you know the, the new experimental league, um, mm. a development a, league, the, if you development would. league if you would for football. And I think it's just going really well. Uh, I think you know the, the product on the field is great. Um, I think there's just a lot of a lot of great football that's being played. And I think if you look at it from a kind of removed standpoint, a lot of these guys are going to get into the NFL. It looks like there's going to be a lot of contracts offered. That's oh yeah, no, mean.
0: there's definitely some uh, some very good, talented players in this league. Like Gilberts look good. Garrett Gilbert, yes, yeah. Summers has looked good, and then Birmingham, defensive line player for Salt Lake too. Yep. I want to say his name shut. Mm-hmm, yeah. He's he's a very good lineman. Uh, there's a bunch of other guys there that look very talented and definitely look like the league's accomplishing its goal of giving players a second chance.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, not only is it giving guys a second chance, it's giving guys a first chance. A lot of these guys, I didn't even know were out there. It's giving, you know, fans a chance to interact with them and really understand, you know, the game of football. And also, I just think it's a really good product. I just think it's something that is exciting. It's fun to watch. And it's great that, you know, I can go now on the weekends and I can still watch football. You know it, it's exactly. kind of depressing for for me, especially i'm a, I'm a big football fan, and so the gap between football and baseball for me is it's a tough tough time yeah. once baseball starts up again i'm I'm happy. But I think it's, it's very difficult um, when, you know, that football season ends and the Super Bowl's over and, you know, spring training hasn't kicked off yet and there's this low period of, okay, you know, what are we going to do now? And even spring training games, they get, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of them aren't aired and there's, there's yeah, you no know, starters playing. And it's
0: spring training. After a while, it's just like, eh. Yeah. I'm, these guys are either going to be cut or playing in A for most of the year. Hell, I'm probably going to see most of these guys playing on Somerset in like yeah. three weeks. It's like... I just, it, spring train just doesn't really do anything for me. You get one, maybe two good moments out of it. A couple people surprise you and you're like, okay, well, maybe I'll see you in July. Uh, spring train doesn't do anything for me. And I agree entirely. To see football continue is nice, especially because you have like a lackluster Super Bowl like we had this year where you had some people trying to defend it going, well, it was just a defensive game when <laughs> it wasn't defensive. It was a terrible offensive game. And the defense were just there. Yeah. Like that. That's one thing I want to touch on. The people that defended the Super Bowl, they think it was just a defensive game. And that's why people didn't like it. <laughs> no, it's not. A defensive game involves the defense making plays. The offense just failed to make plays. That does not make a game defensive. It makes yeah, it
1: sloppy. Both teams were very poor offensively in the Super Bowl. Obviously, with the team that I wanted to win, the Patriots, the team that I picked to win, the Patriots, I was happy at the outcome. But it really wasn't a slugfest of a,
0: uh, it was really a Super Bowl. A, it was kind of a terrible Super Bowl all the way around when you think about it. The commercials weren't good, the game wasn't good, <laughs> and the performance was average to best. <laughs> it's just that, and I think that's great for the AEF that they came in on the wings of that right. Super Bowl. Yep. Where it's like, ah, oh, well, that was a disappointment where you end the year and then to have, oh, no, wait, we still got something. That that was definitely a positive for them.
1: Yeah, and it, it makes me question whether the uh, XFL, which is supposedly coming next
0: year,
1: mm. how well that's going to work, only because I really feel like the AAF has kind of cornered the market already. It's got such a good product right now, I've really
0: enjoyed watching AAF games. Yeah, see, the thing is, I think they can coexist for a little bit. Yeah. I think by, say, 2023, we're going to have a definitive winner in this. I think they should any. just combine. I really do. See, the problem with that, is that they have two different goals in mind. The AAF is a very much the mindset of being, we're finding a developmental league. We want to be working with the NFL. We want to be part of them, kind of like a G League for them, where you send your prospects down, they play in the spring. The third string guy that's not going to get any reps and is just doing scout team, he can actually be getting in game reps and stuff, and kind of similar to like what Major League Baseball's done with the Atlantic League, right. you can test out rules in the AAF. Before you put them in the NFL, mm-hmm. like the kickoff or the onside kick thing, which yeah. I've killed onside kicks effectively.
1: Uh, yeah, I really think that that rule is great,
0: just mm-hmm. a touch. Yeah, and that's what their goal is. And the XFL has very much stated that is not at all our goal. Our goal is to be our own separate league. Right. We want nothing to do with the NFL. Their market is the guys that said we don't want to be part of. We don't want anything to do with the NFL anymore for whatever reason. So, they're going for more of a USFL approach.
1: Yeah, I don't know how well that's going to work. I think that could be... Not very well. That's how it's going to go. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you think of the viewership's pretty good with the AAF, the numbers are pretty good.
0: Uh, Yeah, it beat uh, the Houston game, the opening night, and then it was just beating MLS opening weekend. This past weekend too, so. Because Americans love football. Let's be honest. I mean. Exactly, and it's not like it's bad football. No, it's good, there's it's good some ball. mistakes, like. Yeah, I, there's some mistakes. But it's it's essentially minor league football. It's what you'd expect. It's I, like watching it's, a college football game. It, essentially, it, it,
1: it even feels a step up from that. I I, it's I, that, it's, I
0: want to say weird zone. Right, it's,
1: it's a weird zone because there's a lot of guys who I feel like are, have talent enough to be in the NFL, hmm. um, but they're just developing. Uh, a lot of the kind of more intuitive parts of the game. They're hmm. really learning how to play the game in some, some cases. And then obviously there's some other guys who are there because they have those good instincts, but
0: they're not necessarily they as don't. talented as others. And yeah, then there's other guys that are there because in between the lines, they're a great player. but They need to learn how to be a pro off the field, Right. Yeah. which is something a lot of people don't really consider a lot when you see a player go. They could be the most talented guy in the world, but if off the field they're a train wreck, uh, it doesn't really help you. Like Take Josh Gordon, for example. He's a terrific wide receiver. Right. When he's on, he's a top five receiver in the game. That's pretty much undebatable. Once he steps off the field, there's a whole mess of problems there, which has seen him suspended how many times and bounced around how yeah, many times?
1: Absolutely. And just, that's a great segue into kind of my final topic here for the seventh inning church I want to touch on is bringing Johnny Manziel to the AAF. Now, Johnny Football, oh. for those of you that oh, don't know, God. I'm a big Cleveland Browns fan. I love the Cleveland Browns, always have since I was a little kid. Uh, and so, obviously, I'm a little bit partial to Johnny Menzel, even though he didn't work out. You know, I appreciate the flair he has and the, the money sign and all that stuff. I really like the bravado he brings. Obviously, he's had some substance abuse issues in the past, um, but I do wish him the best. And I think that it's if we could get him into the AAF, it's such a talent boost. It's an injection of energy, of eyeballs. If he can, I think he could really remake himself. I think it's the perfect situation for him to kinda of learn, to get in with guy someone like a Steve Spurrier, who's a great offensive mind and the old, the old ball coach is really good at, you know, kinda of reigning guys in. Obviously he wouldn't be yeah, yeah, that wouldn't be his first selection. I mean yeah, San Antonio. Would he would
0: be. go to San Antonio first and then he's kinda of free range there. Yeah. I would imagine if he were to go into the free range market there, if San Antonio didn't want him. I would say probably either Salt Lake or maybe Atlanta would go for him. Yeah. Obviously, Orlando is very happy with Gilbert yep. under center. Birmingham kind of jumping around quarterbacks now. Perez looked great. Uh, Keith Price played today. He looked all right. Uh, but Blake Sims is still there. He's hurt right now, but he'll be back. Right. So I don't think they would make the move from Anzel. San Diego, possibly being Maybe. that they just lost uh, Admiral Admiral Nelson Admiral there. Admiral Nelson, how long is that that injury? Oh, for? he's gone for the year. Gone for the year. Yeah, uh, forget what he broke. It was only with his arm. Uh, poor Admiral. Yeah, so they got Mike Baranucci now. Right. So that's not great. So really, when I'm looking through the list of possible teams here, I think San Diego, Salt Lake, and Atlanta are really your best three bets to see him go to one of those places.
1: Yeah, it also depends on how San Antonio feels about. Woodside, uh, you know, yeah. I think Logan Woodside is actually a good quarterback. One of the actual bigger mm-hmm. names, and one of the names I've heard of going in, obviously, Garrett Gilbert, of course, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, Logan Woodside definitely is someone who's an intriguing prospect. So it'd be interesting to see if San Antonio does make a move, but I just think that it would be
0: another good thing, another
1: way, a bigger name. You know, yeah, I mean, it would the be good for publicity.
0: I'm just wondering if it's good press. Uh, if you go to the theory of any press is good press, then it's a great idea. If you think Having Johnny Manziel sends a bad image about the league. Then you may want to stay away from him a bit. Uh Personally speaking, if he does come, I think San Diego may be his best bet. It's not the most party central city, which I think is something you need to consider when bringing Johnny Manziel out. No, there's
1: not a whole... I mean, outside of Atlanta, there's not a whole ton of markets that are really party true, cities. True, Orlando to an extent. Orlando to an extent, but still a little bit more tame than... Yeah,
0: true. Uh, you know, Compared like to like a Miami, Miami. Yeah, yeah. But I think San Diego would be good solely because they have Mike Martz.
1: Yeah, I agree with that.
0: Having Mike Martz, I think, could really do something for Johnny Manziel being that as a thrower, he's so-so. Yeah, he's a little suspect. But... His ability comes because he plays like he's in the backyard. He's willing to just take off and run.
1: Yeah.
0: And when you have a guy like that in an offensive mind like Mike Martz, I think that's like a beautiful match there. Plus, Martz has been around the game for so long. I think he can kind of put him in line and tell him, look, if you want to play football for a living, this is what you're going to have to do. Yeah. you got to be a pro like this. I know you got your problems, but you're going to have to knuckle down and you got to do it this way. Do what you have to do to get through your demons, but you got to do it this way. It's the only way you're going to make it. Yep. So I think that's a good place to go on to the final topic of today's show. We'll leave the seventh inning behind and head now to the Atlantic League once again this week. (laughs) Back to the Atlantic League. Last week, we talked a
1: little bit about the Atlantic League and their partnership with Major League Baseball. Uh, and so kind of continuing on that trend, uh, we're going to kind of tip off on the rule changes.
0: Yep, we're going to go to these rule changes. They were made, well, they were made public right as we were about to record. I saw it, so then we had to immediately change up the script and everything. And then things came up, and so now we're discussing them now. We have these rule changes. Now, I want to keep in mind... That these can change at any point in the season. They can be ended. It just has to be within 40 days of the beginning of the season to be known. So if they decide Rule one's not good, in 40 days it will be killed. Or if it's the second half of the year, in 30 days it will be killed. So none of these are set in stone. They're just going to start the year like this. The first one here is an umpire assisted strike zone. So basically what it means is it's going to be trackmen calling the balls and strikes. There's still going to be an umpire behind the plate, but the trackmen will be used to call any balls and strikes. Right, yeah. Uh, thoughts on that one? Because We'll yeah. go one by one here.
1: Okay. Yeah, so go one by one. Uh, I, like the, I like this one. This one I said last week, I really like it. I haven't changed my stance on it. I think it's a great thing. I think this is the one that is most practical for Major League Baseball because the pitches are so close. And it's so hard to call and the, the calls are so important, especially in the postseason. This one I love. I think this is actually going to make the, the game better for the Atlantic League. I think this is the one rule, one of some of the rules that I love so much because it's just going to make Atlantic League baseball better.
0: Yep, I agree with that. I think, uh, assisted strike sounds very good. I yeah. mean, how many times do you see a perfect game get ruined because of a bad ball? Or Mando uh, Galarraga playing uh, kind Galarai of the, If he, they had a challenge there, he has a perfect game. Yep. Like, I felt bad for Jim Joyce with that one. Of course, yeah. Yeah, that was bad.
1: It's not really his fault, but it, it, just, it just goes to show that they're human. They're exactly. people. They make mistakes, and so
0: this is why it's a great thing. Exactly. It kills off that rule change, and I understand why Major League Baseball wants it, especially, or namely because sports betting is becoming a big popular thing. So when you have a lot of money riding on every pitch, if something becomes a walk or a strikeout when it should have been the other way around, that's not good.
1: Yeah, you don't want to be questioning things. I mean, you've seen it even in... Uh, even in the NBA, you've seen a lot of that, you know, stuff with sports betting and
0: Joey Crawford and all that. Yeah, a lot of, and so you just want to get as accurate as possible when you're dealing with all that jazz. We go on to rule change number two. There will be no more amount visits by anyone unless a pitching change or a medical issue. I'll take the lead on that. All right. Uh, right. I'm not exactly thrilled with that. I'm I, I fine if you want to limit it to X amount of game, say, like, five or six a game, I'd be okay with that. I think the catcher or an infielder should be able to go out there and talk to the pitcher at least once an inning. In case something happens, if you have a guy stealing signs on second base, you should be able to have the catcher go out there and go, he's taking signs, we're gonna switch. This means this now, and this means that now. It's also important if the guy's getting shaky, he's had a couple bad batters in a row, you wanna go out there and go, it's okay, you got two outs on the guy, two guys are on here, there's a weak ground ball, gets us out of the inning, don't worry about it, you got this. It feels like it takes strategy out of the game, too, because you can't go out there and adjust things. If a guy gets announced into the game that wasn't on deck, now it changes everything. Now it changes your view on everything. It, I don't like it for that reason.
1: Yeah, I really don't like this at all. I think, as a catcher, there's so much that is talked about on visits. it's not just coming... You know the the pitcher down. It's also talking to him about who he's throwing to on a double play. It's huh. it's uh, you know keeping his head in the game as well as you know pitching because pitchers sometimes they get so focused on what they're doing they forget that they're actually a fielder as well. Huh. And so you want to keep reminding them what happens if the ball is hit to them, how to strategize for if you're going to have a pickoff play. It really makes it a you know a, I think it's just a problematic rule overall. I think this is one of the ones that is going to get at some point axed because it's going to be so frustrating for managers and pitchers and catchers
0: as well yeah i definitely think that's going to be one that gets changed i don't yeah. think it's going to be entirely killed off i think it's going to be that limit to say like three or four a game right, from yeah. them mm-hmm. from an actual like staff member pitching coach or a manager and say no more than once an in inning for a catcher or an infield to come out and talk to him i yeah. think that's just going to be something that has to change i would see that uh That's sticking.
1: Well, they already have the mound visit counter in Major League Baseball.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think it's just going to be an extension of that. Yeah. I think Major League Baseball wanted that one there to see, okay, how far can we push that? Yeah, what's the ceiling on that? And I think that's, I think that's too much. I think that's too extreme. Yeah, but I I think it's pushing it a bit. Yeah. Um, Rule number three. Pitchers must face three batters or reach the end of the inning before being removed.
1: But. Yeah, I'm kind of neutral on that one. I don't really love it, but I don't hate it. I think it's a, it's a rule that's kind of just there because it's a rule. It's just something to try. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad rule. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, pitchers might get frustrated with it. It takes a little bit of the strategy aspect out of it. Um, you know, facing three batters is, you know, something that's challenging. And so guys can give up more runs, uh, if they're in a tough spot. But by the same token, um, I think it's a kind of a fair rule as well. So I'm, I'm neutral on it.
0: And see, I'm on the fence on this one. Uh, some pushback online I've seen about it is going, well, you've essentially killed the Lugie, which to that I say, well, become a better pitcher so that way you're not only facing left-handed guys.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, you shouldn't, we shouldn't be protecting that position. It's like, well, get better at pitching.
1: Yeah, be a little bit less of a specialist.
0: Right? Exactly. Like, it's, you're not a closer. A closer is about the only specialized position. And that's just because they're going out there and throwing their arm out every day. Yeah. That's the only reason why they're I'm on the fence about it. Just because I see their point. It slows down the game to have a guy come in and out and in and out and in and out a thousand times, just keep switching dudes out. At the same time though, I don't really think it's that big of a deal. I'm fine with a pitcher being there. I think if a pitcher starts getting rocked, they should be able to be like taken out immediately. No questions asked on it. I don't think you should have to face three batters. Uh, but in the end, I'm, I am can go either way on it. The only reason it's there is because Major League Baseball talks about implementing it themselves. So they obviously want to see it in action first.
1: Yeah, and I think it's, like like you said, it's, it's something I'm pretty neutral on. I think, you know, I'm very wait-and-see on many of these, and that's one that I'm very wait-and-see on. But yeah. I think that could be a good rule just for, fairness, and also speed of the game. Think can really speed things up if you're not having pitching changes every, you know, two seconds. So,
0: I, mean, I, I, I like agree.
1: it from that perspective.
0: Yeah, but I agree with that. Rule four, the size of the base is now increased from 15 inches to 18 inches. That will exclude home plate, so it will only be first base, second base, and third base.
1: What?
0: Honestly, this is one I'm pretty neutral on, to be honest with you. Yeah. If you it made the base a little bit bigger, I guess it helps with injuries. Somehow, uh, I've seen that online going, well, the base is larger than you don't have as close of a play there. But three inches. (laughs) It's not that big of a deal. No, it's it's not. It's three inches. Like people that are getting outraged over it, it's it's three inches. It's not that big of a deal. I couldn't care less about it.
1: Yeah, no, it's completely a tangential change. It's one of those ones where, I mean, it's not even that I'm I'm against it. It seems like a, a change for a change, but I really don't see the benefit or the negative aspect to it. And everyone's like, "Oh, and the baseball purists are all yelling from the back, no, no, don't!" And so to me, I'm just kind of like, "Oh, well, you know, I think that it doesn't really matter. I think three inches on a base is so, you know, irrelevant to it. I mean, if anything, it'll make the it'll make it more infield singles maybe because you'll have a, an extra like maybe a quarter of a step. Exactly. Uh, so fine, that's more interesting for me. So
0: exactly, like this is also like out of all the rules here. But when you'll notice the least of the band. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Like, you don't really take into account the size of a bass. No. If anything, it affects umpires the most, just because they're used to being a certain way of doing things with the bass, being, okay, well, it's going to be about that. But even then, you go off the of sound more than sight. They go off sound more than sight, yeah. So, I mean, like, it makes very little difference. I mean, it's a pretty neutral rule.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. So now we have rule number five. Two men on either side of second base before the ball is pitched. That goes all times. There must be two guys on each side of the second. And if you do not have two guys, so if you have a shift on, the ball will be rolled dead and it will be rolled a ball. Take the lead. I mean, this one is this is ridiculous.
1: This is taking strategy out of the game of baseball. The shift is probably one of the most important things we've seen in the last 20 years in baseball, and it's changed the game, revolutionized the way defense is played in the game of baseball. And now they're like, yeah, you know what, forget about all that strategy. It doesn't matter. We, we we entered all this new data monitoring devices into mm. uh, the ballparks. And and now they're like, yeah, you know what, that data is irrelevant now. So let's just let's get rid of it so we can, we can you know, we'll only have, you know, a uh, very tangential shift that doesn't really matter. I, 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 I
0: hate this rule. I think this rule should be, this rule garbage. Get it out. You know, the only way you can kill a strategy more is by putting a DH in that's the only <laughs> way you could kill strategy more. Hot take shots fired. I mean it's not really that hot to take. DH removes strategy from the game. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and, but it's less entertaining. But uh, for the shift there, I don't really see the problem with having a shift. I get how it can be annoying because things slow down because you need guys to get into position for the shift. Mm-hmm, but not really that much though. But the thing is, the shift has its own natural disadvantage. Yep. If you throw everybody on one side of the field all the batter has to do is lay down a bunt. And oftentimes I can't get that down. <laughs> if you lay down the bunt, then, and you're able to get it down successfully, no one's getting to that ball. Especially if you put down a good bunt where it's a no man's land. Yeah. You might as well walk the first. hmm. Cause no one's gonna get it. If you hit a ripper down the line, it's a free base hit. Yep. At the very least, probably gonna be a double. I'm, I don't really have a problem with the shift. Uh, it seems more like a strike against, like, the analytical minds, because they're the ones who really put the shift on. If the dude's hitting the ball to the right side of the field 90% of the time, take the risk. It's a good risk to take. Most times he's gonna be hitting right into an out. Yeah. So.
1: And I mean, the thing is, is like, why have all of this new stuff that measures analytics? Being put into these stadiums, if we're not going to use the analytics,
0: well, I don't even I don't agree with that. I think the analytics are for scouting purposes, right? Of the course, the scouting it's that's for scouting. This is for on the field play. It's a big difference there, right? But they, but they can still use the data. Teams Atlantic League teams are still going to use that data. Of say, course, they're going to the use break charts and things
1: like that. No, I mean I think you know if we're looking at Atlantic League play. It's one thing to talk about OK scouting, scouting, scouting. Yes, that is very important. It's what a lot of guys care about. But to me, I really care about the play that's on the field. I'm an Atlantic League fan. I well, want to go to course, Somerset but,
0: and watch them win. Of course, but at the same time here, it's not like you're seeing a lot of shifts in independent league baseball as it is. How many times have you seen a shift when you're watching these games?
1: Right, but the thing is, is that now now that they can actually do it, now they've been given the ability to do it thanks to the data that they're gonna, now going to have, they've been, they've had that opportunity taken away from them. And so what I'm saying is is that it's going to impact just the, over, on the overall on the play Uh, You know, fielding
0: work. I I don't think it's going to impact it that much. I'd really be very skeptical that you're going to see (laughs) that many shifts put on in an Atlantic League game. I I think so. I think you're going to see a lot of it with the new data that they're going to be given. Well, the Trackman information was put in almost explicitly for Mm -hmm. the scouting purposes of it, and I see your point of going, well, if they have the data, they're going to use it in every way possible. I still don't see them calling out shifts and whatnot all the time. I don't see it turning into the level where killing the shift's going to make that big of a difference.
1: I I I don't know. I feel like I feel like it 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 certainly does have its advantages. Now that they can use it, I think it'll be used. I mean, it's used extensively in Major League Baseball. Well, of course, that's a totally different animal. Uh, right, but I mean, there's but that the only the difference to that animal is that they have the data.
0: That's the only difference. Uh I think there's a lot more differences that go into just having the data or not having the data. I think it's the personnel and the way you choose to deploy your, your players. I don't really think just because now you have the analytical data that you're going to go, well, now we need to be doing shifts all the time. I, I mean, maybe would, not all the time, but certainly in specific situations. I'm not, good, be, I'm not doubting that you know, against certain players you're always going to play the shift. I'm yeah. just saying it's not going to be as widespread and it's not going to make that big of a difference killing the shift. Uh, that's my only point. I maybe I, <laughs> I don't see that as that big of a deal. I think it's, if anything, it hurts management more for killing off shifts because it hurts your way to advance
1: up. Yeah, true. That's about yeah, it. That's a good point,
0: too, yeah. So, all right. Less of a noticeable change for players, but more noticeable for fans here, is change number six. That's the time between innings has been reduced 20 seconds from a minute 05 to one minute and 45 seconds.
1: Yeah, I like that. You know, I, I think that that that's one of the ones where you can kinda just say, you know, I like that. I mean, you want a shorter game, this is what
0: you're gonna get. I like it. Exactly. I I don't think twenty seconds is that big of a difference maker. No. Uh only concern there is only having a minute and forty five in between innings, how you adjust as a player to that. Sometimes you there's just certain things that take time there. Yeah. Also and, not
1: gonna be as much uh on-field entertainment
0: as well yeah that does kill the entertainment value a bit too i mean there's a lot of times you want to see either like the races on the field or like the sumo like the sumo wrestling and stuff yeah yeah it does uh it does put a damper on that Meaning that you you have figure it takes 15 seconds to get onto the field 15 to set it up and 15 to get off so that gives you a minute to run whatever entertainment you're going to run Actually, probably less than that because you want to give them 10 seconds where no one's on the field.
1: Yeah, it certainly condenses it. So, yeah. I mean, we'll you know, we'll see how that, that all works out. But, I, I you know, I think that's one of those changes where, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter as much as some other ones that uh, are regarding gameplay.
0: Yep, it certainly doesn't matter as much as this role, which is by far the biggest and the one that's caused the uh, the most uproar, the one that was rumored and is now confirmed. The distance between the rubber on the mound and the plate has been extended 24 inches, or 2 feet, whichever you prefer, for the second half of the season only. Though we know of the changes to the mound, so it will remain the same size, the same height, same slope. Uh, these changes will be made only in the second half, like I said. And all these rule changes now will be evaluated at the All-Star break of the Atlantic League season by Major League Baseball and readjusted. Uh, the mound is one I just... I can't cosign on the mound. Nope, can't do it. It's not from like a purist standpoint. Nope. It's just from an injury standpoint. I'm right. afraid of pitchers throwing up their arms. I really... That's a really big concern of mine. I don't really like that at all. I just... I'm so mad. Nah. I hate this rule. I mean, and all,
1: all the rest of them I can live with. The shift rule, you know, I have my things with, but the rest of them I think are fine. But this rule, I really have, my, I have an issue with. Just because of player safety. I feel like it's just disregarding player safety and saying, yeah, you know, we really don't care about your arm and how taxing it is on it. You know, we're just, we're just gonna do this, uh, because, you know, this is independent league baseball and we can. Uh, you know, and, and I don't want to go too hard because overall I think these rule changes in this partnership is fantastic for the league. Oh, yeah, it it
0: has its ba- it definitely has its benefits. Like I've been hitting home the scouting aspect really is what does it. Yeah. Uh, and as we'll discuss when we get into the actual articles, which is what we were going to talk about originally before the rule changes came down. Right. The initial plan or the initial reasoning behind this partnership was because scouts kept coming to the league, both the front office of the league and front office of the teams. We really like these players, but our front offices, the major league ones, won't let us take a chance on some of them because we don't have the advanced data on them. And our front office is just too driven by us to take a flyer on them. So if you can get us advanced data, we can really start stepping up the players we're taking from here. Because we'd much rather have guys that have been playing here than guys that either haven't been playing since last year or have been playing overseas. We'd much rather take these guys.
1: Yeah, of course. And I think, yeah, it's going to be a positive thing. But the mound change, it's not just injury, too. It's going to be quality of play. So it's a different game if you move the mound back two feet. It's not. It's not a small change. I mean, two feet is a pretty you know substantial move, and it's not. It's not going to be good. I don't know if it's going to do anything either for player uh, for t- because the timing is going to be off for of the batters as well. So I really you know I think the the argument for it is well, it gives the batter more time to react. But I think that I think baseball is such a rhythm and such a timing game that it's just going to throw more batters off than not.
0: Well, to rebut the the point on batters, I think seeing a ball coming at you at eighty six as opposed to 95, makes it a lot easier.
1: But as someone who's hit, right, especially mid-season like this, Mm. it's going to really throw guys off, especially early on, both pitchers and batters, but especially early on, the batters are really going to have a problem with timing because baseball is about muscle memory, about rhythm and timing, and it's really difficult to get your swing to adjust to the ball coming from a different length you know, at a different speed, like you're saying, but it's going to look like the same speed that you're used to, so it's going to be difficult.
0: Yeah, and you touched on timing though. What do you what do you really think about uh, them just doing this for the second half? Do you have any thought on that? Yeah, I think that
1: that to me
0: that's just not something
1: that I mean I I I know that you you like that it's only the second half, mm-hmm. but for me I really don't like it just from a rhythm and a timing perspective. First of all, I don't like that in the second half of the season, in the playoff stretch, down the run. Now all of a sudden this rule change is going to be going to be implemented. First of all and then the second thing is baseball is all about you know pitchers how they their mechanics are going to be thrown off by this they're going to have to over over exert over stretch and the hitters their timing is going to be off when the, the you know especially if they've got a leg kick for batters that leg kick that plant foot has to be planted just when the ball's getting there in order for the the swing to be you know a good good swing through the zone and a lot of times, you're going to see a lot more pop-ups. You're going to see a lot more guys missing and missing badly
0: because their timing is going to be off. It's going to look like spring training all over again. Well, see, the thing is, I don't hate the timing. it, And the reasons why are playoff implications. That the only thing I don't like is now you have two separate seasons, basically. Yeah. Being that the way the Atlantic League works, the division winners just go on. hmm So it's kind of, eh, whatever. Yeah. So it does seem like for half the season, you're playing one game and the other half you're playing a different game. Mm-hmm. I grant that, but timing-wise, I'm fine with it because Major League Baseball wants a set data. They want a flat number. So, to have your prior sample here, you need to start it off with the standard 60 and a half. Then you can get your change data and compare the two and see if the results you wanted and what you got. And it may not be the most obvious of things, but it gives you more time to adjust to it. I feel like you can go ahead and do things in that front half of the season to prepare for that second half, whether as a batter or as a pitcher. Now, I still don't like the change, but I think by doing it from the first half of the season on, I think that creates a lot more problems when you're still putting together a roster, you're still signing players, and you have to do all that stuff and then teach them on top of that to pitch from a new mound. And to do all these things in about a five, six-week period, that's a lot to do in six weeks, as opposed to being able to do that from now until July. It gives you a lot more time.
1: My other issue is though they put it in in August, right? And this and, and guys are trying to get signed in like let's say for late August for September calls, and they put it in maybe July, August. Is this mound? You know this new mound rule. And you're trying to get signed to an MLB team or, or a, uh, you know, affiliated roster. You're going to go from this overextended mound that you've now been pitching on for a couple of months to, you know, just a, back to the, the normal mound. This is why I really just hate the rule in general. Um, it's the one rule that I really have a problem with because. The, 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 it's going to change mechanics. It's going to change everything over and over and over again because from the first half of the season, you're normal mound, then to this new mound, and then if you get signed to a different team, and if your contract gets purchased, you're going to be on another mound again, and that's going to be put so much stress and so much change to, uh, you know, pitchers really like to have the same thing. They're very superstitious, and they're also very mechanical, and so to change all that is going to be really difficult for pitchers.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think like back and forth, back and forth potential is something that is concerning. The only other thing I really think of when I think of this rule change that hasn't already been said, because I think it's pretty universal, the amount change is not accepted. Not it, loved. Yeah. yeah, it's not a great uh, a great idea. Is that how many more pitches are now going to be on that pitcher's arm? Because like I was saying, yeah. you have more time to adjust to it, but figure in a week, how many pitches do you throw? Probably 500 or so Yeah, between the start and practice and warm-up pitches and all sorts of other things. So if you tack on, say, another 50 to 100 pitches from this new distance, you're putting a lot of mileage on a pitcher's arm a that already, tricks, yeah. that already is like a car. It can only go so many times before it finally just dies on you. Yep. For a guy that's looking explicitly to play in the major leagues, has to play indie ball, has to work the way up to the affiliate system, and then has to pitch at the major league level. And if he doesn't perform at any one of those stages, his journey ends. To tack on an extra hundred pitches a week, probably from April to the end of September, it it's a lot. It's a lot of pitches you're throwing onto that farm. Yeah,
1: it's just not a great rule. But like I said, I, I don't want this to cloud overall. I think overall, the the idea here of partnering with Major League Baseball uh, gets really, really. A uh, good coverage for the Atlantic League and is really a good thing overall. But I just think this one rule is something that they're going to have to take a look at. And obviously, in the future, I think change it. And like you said, even if it's just a little bit less, maybe if it's a little bit less of a mound, change maybe they moved it back less. I just think two feet a lot.
0: Yeah, I'm fine with it being, being moved back two feet because I think if you're going to move it back like six inches, don't move it at all. Six yeah. inches is making no difference. I definitely do think if you're going to move it, go big or go home. Move it back to two feet or don't move it at all. Yeah. So I'm fine with them moving it back that much because, like I said, I really think it would be a dumb idea, to, even dumber than moving it back to two feet, to move it back six inches because it doesn't help anybody. It just hurts everybody. Yeah. At least with this, it helps batters to an extent. But
1: I mean, we'll have to say, we'll, we'll take a wait and see on all of them. I'd like to see if it does actually help batters. I think statistically it will, especially mm-hmm. because it's going to be happening mid-season and that change is going to be so abrupt for batters that they're not going to be used to seeing the ball from this distance and then all of a sudden because they I mean and the problem is that it's just so much muscle memory that goes into baseball with you know throwing uh all the, the same distance since you were in little league and we, we went all over all this last mm-hmm. week. But you know just to kind of end it, you know mm-hmm. Throwing from this distance, hitting from this distance, everyone's going to be out of their comfort zone in the second
0: half of the season. Yeah, the thing that, that we haven't discussed, but I just want to touch quickly before we kind of wrap it up. Mm-hmm. How is this going to affect fielders? Yeah. That's the thing we haven't really talked about. Like, we've, we've talked about how it affects the guy at the plate, how it affects the guy throwing the ball, mm-hmm. to an extent how it affects the catcher. But how does it affect the other guy? All fielders, honestly, it makes very little difference. They're yeah, still well. the same distance away from the ball, practically speaking. Yep. Now, calling for a ball, if you're on the mound there, it makes things complicated. How you feel the grounder becomes more complicated. Even as a catcher, if a bunt's laid down and it's just like a weak little kind of dribbler ball right there, it takes a second for you to go, oh, no, wait, he's still feet away from that ball. I need to go get that ball after yeah. that extra two feet. So I think fielding the ball is going to be the, the thing that nobody really is thinking about. And bunting the ball especially. Yeah. I mean,
1: you know... Bunting's
0: going to become a lot more effective now.
1: All of these plays are going to be a lot different, you know, there's a lot of bunk plays, defensive bunk plays, the defenses will have an order of wheel plays and things like that, and to kind of get rid of, you know, you're going to have to adjust that, That's going to be a big adjustment that a lot of teams are going to have to make, especially for catchers who aren't exactly the most athletic, uh, like yeah. I wasn't when I caught, um, you know, sometimes it was hard to get out there and get out in front of the plate and make those plays, and I think that's going to be difficult on bunks especially.
0: Yep, so let's just quickly recap all these rules here. Which ones do you think are going to stick and which ones do you think are not? Let's kind of go through the list here. Electronic strike zone. That's going to stick. All right. I agree with that. So we both agree electronic strike zone's going to stick. Yep. No mound visits. It's not going to stick. Nope.
1: Not in the same the same way.
0: Okay. So we're both going to agree it'll stick around but in a different form. Yep. All right. So change. Three batter rule. Uh, that'll strike. Okay. I agree with that. Much to my chagrin, I think it will. Yeah. All right. Size of the base that will stay, right? I uh, I think that maybe something gets changed, but I I'll say it stays. Okay. Killing the shift sticks or not stick?
1: I think it sticks for the reason that you said hmm. that how much shifting is going to ultimately happen. So I think maybe it'll stay, especially for the first season, it'll stay.
0: All okay. right. Uh, time between innings?
1: Um, stays.
0: Yeah, that one I don't think. Games are not going to. Twenty get seconds. Longer. Yeah. Yep. And then mound stays and no stays.
1: No, I don't think it stays.
0: I don't I don't think it makes it. Alright. Well, that'll ramp up the rule changes. Let's go ahead and just quickly cover these articles here, being that particularly the first one that had the interview in it, I think was really worthwhile. Yeah, to, well, mm-hmm. yeah, The article was so-so, but the interview was what really gave off a lot of good information here, so... So the article and the uh, interview are both available on pressboxonline.com. If you want just the interview, you could go to the uh, SoundCloud link we put in the show notes that links you right to the uh, interview. That's about 25 minutes long, 24 minutes long, something like that. And it's a very good uh, interview. So you want to take uh, take charge on this one? Yeah, sure.
1: Uh, so I, I think that the, the article is a really interesting uh, look into kind of how the president... Um, of the Atlantic League. Yeah, Um, Rick White. Rick White, how he thinks about it and kind of why he made this decision. I think it's a really good thing, um, to see a lot of transparency is given through this interview that he's had. I think it's a really good thing.
0: Yep, definitely. So, just some of the highlights from this article in the interview. And it's important to note the article came out on Thursday the 7th and the interview was conducted on March 2nd. So, this came out a week ago. Before we knew about these changes and everything was still rumored and all that jazz. Yep. And true to form, he was actually right. He said most of these changes will be released in the coming days, and then he specified seven to ten. It was six days, so. Yeah, there you go. I mean, he was pretty spot on. Pretty good. All right. So, some of the things that were said that I at least found interesting was uh, tests will start at opening day and at the midpoint, but the way it was said implied to me that there wasn't going to be any changes made in the middle of the season, so. Like, they could end something. So, right. for example, let's say the shift rule wasn't working out. They could kill that in the middle of the season and be fine with it. However, in the middle of May, they're not going to go, okay, well, we're going to throw out an extra player on the diamond now yeah. or something like that. <laughs> Any changes can only begin at the start and midpoint in the year. Right. That's at least how I interpreted that. Yeah, um, I interpreted that in
1: that way as well. I think that's a good thing. I think that's a really yeah. good parameter to set because if all of a sudden you get a notice from, uh, in you know, the Atlantic League and the MLB League office, here you go, okay, now you have to have two DHs or something, right? Yeah, exactly.
0: And it's was like, okay, well, by the way, you're going to get a tenth batter now. Yeah. Or the pitcher and the DH are both going to exist. That mm-hmm. starts in 40 days, so get ready for that. Have fun. Exactly. That's kind of pulling the rug out on them. Mm-hmm. I think really telling them that this one's going to start, this one's going to start is a good thing. You yep. can prepare for that.
1: Absolutely.
0: The other thing is that these changes can only be ended with MLB approval, However, just because the MLB says we don't want to do it anymore, the Atlantic League can still choose to continue these. Mm -hmm. So let's say Major League Baseball says we don't like the mound thing. We don't think it's going to work out for us. If you guys want to change it, go back to the standard mound. The Atlantic League can say, no, we like this. We're going to keep it. Mm -hmm. I suppose it's not that shocking. It keeps their autonomy there. But it's just something important to note that Major League Baseball doesn't have total Autonomy here, like we feared last week,
1: right, yep, it alleviated a lot of my concerns of this uh this article in the interview it made me feel a lot more comfortable in the direction that this uh this deal's going and really kind of get more on board with it than i was last week.
0: Hmm. uh they also mentioned electronic mat and ball tracking, mm-hmm. so I would assume that would go inside bats and inside balls, there'd be some sort of a tracking device so that way you could get even more accurate information from like spray charts and things like that, yeah. as to where the ball is going, bat speed, so exit velocity, ball spin rotations, things like that. That would be difficult for a bat, you know, because the bat breaks and Yeah, it would. Be. They would have to do something with the bat here, which makes me think maybe metal bats are on the horizon. Uh, you're,
1: you're I'm dreaming, dreaming,
0: but... You're dreaming of that, because that would be safe for pitchers. A the comebacker there. Oh, no. 100, 200 mile an hour. That could, <laughs> get you. That could very well kill somebody at that point. hmm So, for those who thought these changes may be a bit on the extreme side, well, I got news for you. You're lucky that it was only these changes. Yeah. Because, according to Rick White in the interview, there was roughly three dozen pitching changes that were on the list of things that they were considering. And he had said we were not going to be implementing... Three dozen pitching changes. Right. Most, there's a large section of them that aren't going to get done, and most of them will not be done this year. However, I think that's a point of discussion here. He said most of them won't be done this year. Yeah. So if these are just the ones that get put in for this year. This is the start. What's coming next? I know. Dun, dun, dun. Like, did they go ahead and lead with the biggest thing, or is there still more to
1: come? I think they they led with the easiest thing. I think they're easing fans into these changes, I'm telling you.
0: I see, my only concern, and the point I got with that, I don't think, I feel like the mound was like the the one thing they're like, okay, if we can get the mound through, yeah,
1: then everything else is gold. I don't know. It, depends, it really depends, because it depends on what they're going to do. I mean, if raising the mound is another thing, or lowering the mound. I mean, that also isn't a big change. If they decided to do that, that would be, you know, that would create a lot of outrage, and that would be a big change. If you throw it on a lot flatter ground, mm-hmm. the velocity is going to be way down. Oh,
0: yeah, no, so that's something that's interesting. I want to know what these other changes were. Yeah. Uh, in the interview, there's where we found out that the scouts have been demanding the advanced analytics. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was something I think you could have put two and two together on. But that's just confirmation on it and what spurred these discussions along. Yep. They also mentioned that there's advanced video scouting there, too. So they have the actual video and all the information that goes along with that, in addition to the track man information. So it's not just numbers, but also advanced film as well. I think that's also important. Another thing that will help uh, some guys get that call to the show. Yeah. The tone I kind of got from the interview was an adapter die tone. And there is a quote there. The quote that I found very interesting from it was at the very end of the interview, and it said, "We determined that we could do one of two things." There's a bit of an ellipsis, but he continues, mm-hmm. "We could either acknowledge that the game was going to change and be part of its evolution, or we could sit on the sidelines and watch."
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that's the that's a good point. I think it really is a good point. And the point that makes this whole deal so relevant is really it is adapter die. It's uh, you know. Either you're going to continue to evolve with Major League Baseball or you're going to get left behind. And I think that's just the way it is.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely feel like that's the way it's going on. Right now you can see a large change both in the fan base and in the game itself. You can see the commissioner of baseball, Manfred, wants change. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's positive change or negative change, but he it's wants change. To. He is right. It is an adapt or die business. And so I take it from their mentality of, well, if we're going to adapt, we might as well adapt with Major League Baseball. Yep. And that gives us the best chance. It was a very interesting interview. I definitely recommend checking it out. That link will be in the show notes. So I just got to send it over to there and uh, yeah, you'll find it there. And we had one other article. It's kind of a quick one to discuss. It was on the pros and cons, namely cons of moving the mound back. On uh, Bleacher Report, it was by Jacob Schaffer, or Schaefer. And that was on March the 5th. So that was released. He raised many questions about the uh, possible injuries and the current lowering of Tommy John surgery and whether that would start to rise up again or not. Yeah. He said it may help pitchers, but it probably wouldn't. It may help batters, but it probably wouldn't. Yeah. And a whole bunch of other things he suggested. Honestly, for the article, I found it just to be a lot of fluff.
1: Yeah, it was a little bit of a fluff piece, and I think we've we've covered a lot of that uh you know i think and, and i'll touch upon those rules actually in my article it's coming uh-huh. sunday that one especially is going to be brought up not ad nauseum and we've talked about it enough everyone's exactly. talked about it enough i want to focus a little bit more on the positive aspects the brand aspects that are going to hmm. come from the atlantic league and the um, and major league baseball coming together i'm going to focus a little bit more on that but yeah certainly this article that we read is a little bit of fluff and it was a little bit of Okay, so here's this rule and I don't like it, and a very opinion-based kind of
0: a deal. Yeah, but I mean, it's still worth the read. Oh yeah, it raises some good points. But overall, I think it it really just discusses what we've said at, yeah. all about the mound. You know, I think that's about all we got for this week. Uh, if you got anything else to add, no, now's no, the time. No, not right now. All right, then I think we're we're doing pretty good here. Uh, let's just go ahead, plug the stuff, and get out of here. So you should be following us on social media. That's on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, you can follow the podcast on just about any podcatcher, tune in, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Podomatic, all of them it's Indie Ball Report. Yep. Uh, Twitter link is at IndieBall Pod. Instagram is Indie Ball Report. That's about all we got That's here. That's all we got today. Yep, so just go ahead and remember to play ball.